0: You're listening to E Commerce Marketing School presented by Privy. And a big thank you to our co sponsors of the show, Suna and Hashtag Paid. Before we get into today's episode, here's a quick word from the future, which it turns out is right now. Because right now you can get the photos and videos your business needs while sitting on your couch. No matter where you are, you can grow your e commerce store with Suna. Suna is the world's first virtual content studio. In 24 hours, you'll have the solution to your e-commerce sales. No expensive photo or video shoot, just you making money with the images people need to inspire them to buy. Get started today at Suna.co. Hey everyone, welcome back to e-commerce marketing school. Super excited to be here today with Rob Fraser, CEO of Outway. They're a brand best known for killer performance socks. But they offer other things like headwear and sunglasses. I saw that look pretty sweet. The designs are amazing and the brand has serious momentum. Rob's also very vocal on Twitter as an operator in the space. So go follow him, look him up on Twitter. And it's just great to finally connect. Appreciate the content that you put out there, Rob. And welcome to the show. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, stoked to be here. Yeah, so let's like rewind the clock a little bit. Would love to just get a feel for like when you started the brand and where things are today.
1: Sure. Yeah. And I'll try to keep this concise because it's a winding story, but I'll just start with kind of like my past life that I call it. I was actually a competitive cyclist and five-time member of the Canadian national team. So actually for 10 years, traveled around the world racing my bike down mountains. So I did like the downhill ski equivalent, but on a bike. So time trial style thought that would be kind of the rest of my life that I was going to kind of ride off into the sunset, retire a multimillionaire and just live the athlete life. But as most may know now and, and maybe don't, there's not a ton of money in sport unless you're in the top 1% of 1%. And injuries started piling up. And so in my early 20s, I started to think, you know, what's a, a career pivot look like? Wasn't didn't have any business experience. I never started a business, but uh, thought starting one sounded like a really cool big goal to go after. You know, that was kind of my MO and 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 sort of in hindsight, my entrepreneur or my uh, athletic career was quite entrepreneurial. It's what I enjoyed the most about it. So decided, you know, one night I'm going to start a business, like you mentioned, a performance sock company. You know, the simple insight was that coming from sport into what I call like the real world, I noticed that all apparel had shifted. And that wasn't one who noticed, all apparel had shifted to, you know, all day athleisure, active wear. But when looking at the sock category, it seemed to have been left behind. It was still, you know, dress socks or basketball socks or a running sock. And and those are great and they exist for, you know, the game day competition. But where was the pair of socks that you could wear to work, the gym, play, and they look great, but they're technically advanced, et cetera, for lack of a better term, kind of like the yoga pant for the foot. And I was on a search for that and couldn't find it. And so I was like, okay, that seems like an interesting problem to solve. And I liked socks, you know, as a cyclist, socks are a part of culture, the way that we express ourselves on the bike. And yeah, so with a thousand bucks that I was using from a school loan at the time, I was studying sport management as a mature student and trying to figure out my life. I was like, you know, I'll spend a grand, get some inventory, teach myself how to design, launch a Shopify site, and see what happens. And to this day, that thousand bucks is uh, all the money I've put into it. We've bootstrapped it well past $10 million in sales. We wow. can get into how we did that. And then uh, last fall, we raised some money to accelerate their path to 100 million. So we've kind of done the five years of bootstrapping. I've raised money, and there's a lot of stories within that. We're in our sixth year now. You can see behind me, we still run a lot of our own businesses within the business. You know, we have our own marketing teams, design teams, fulfillment teams, warehouses, stuff like that. So it's been a journey, and there's lots to dig into, but uh, yeah, having fun. Good.
0: I'm just blown away. I mean, obviously, I've I've heard inklings of this story uh, just being in this space, but it's amazing to hear that from you. I think you... Great founders kind of fast forward through so much and you're just like, oh, I took a thousand dollars. I messed around (laughs) on Shopify and I grew it well past $10 million. (laughs) Like that's amazing. That's amazing, Rob. So congrats. I didn't realize you bootstrapped for so long. I, I do think it's fascinating that you also ended up raising. So at some point we should touch on that, but I'm curious, right? Like you talked about how for performance socks as a cyclist, that's something that you appreciated but you couldn't really find that online. So like, what year was this?
1: Yeah, we started the business in 2016. So kind of right at the inflection point of Shopify and e-commerce, you know, having started maybe a couple years earlier would have been great, but it seemed to be kind of the sweet spot. And in a good spot because a lot of our competitors that started in the early 2000s, mid 2000s, 2008, whatever, they were wholesale as a first channel through like, you know, retailers. So we were able, like the early day value proposition was that classic D2C kind of playbook of we cut out the middle, man, we offer a better price. So we were able to do that while offering and innovating in sort of a new product space. So it was a unique time to start the business. But yeah, to your point, it wasn't just a thousand bucks in and 10 million out. There was a lot of ups and downs and sideways and near death blows and stuff, but it's been a journey for sure, but uh, 2016.
0: Yeah, so would you say that like the reason you were able to break out early was because you were one of the first performance sock brands to go direct to consumer or was there something else to it?
1: It definitely wasn't. I think like we actually succeeded despite our poor efforts online. I didn't know, I'm not a digital marketer by trade. I'm not even an entrepreneur by trade. I was an athlete. So what I understood was athlete marketing. So actually for the first few years, right up until about COVID, the majority of our marketing dollars and efforts were done through kind of micro-influencer and brand ambassadors. Mm. We would do a lot of brand collaborations with brands like Red Bull and big bike festivals and marathons. So we were actually a lot more in the physical space versus digital. We sold online as a primary channel, but used a lot of activations in real life to drive online sales, which I think were actually super interesting that we did that for so long because we got to deeply understand our customer. And we weren't, driving a lot of paid traffic. So we weren't muddying up our data. Literally like for the longest time, everyone that landed on our site and bought was like our customers. So our conversion rates were bonkers. Like the data was really solid. And so when it was time to turn on ads and we were like, okay, we should figure this out. We had a really strong data set and understanding of who likes to buy the socks. And also just the benefit of showing up on site at events for like three years, four years you get to hear the, the questions that the customers ask about the product, which is what you should be answering and advertising copy. You know, and the, the number one we got was what makes your sock special? That was like nine out of 10 questions. And so we do a job now, like on our product pages, you scroll down, it says, what makes our sock special question mark? And we just go deep on that. So no, I would say like it was the right timing, but we didn't actually harness that timing. But it definitely, what did happen is we spent this year from like 2016 until 2020 Doing that and building online presence and really strong muscle and scar tissue in that space. So, when COVID did switch the world to buying online, that's when we started to really lean in and really start to clean up market share, especially in Canada.
0: Yeah. There's so much that I love about this story, though, because, like, one way you could have started this business, Rob, was like just setting up shop on Shopify and like going purely online sales. But I think. It sounds like you knew which events to get involved with because of your history. Like that was something unique to you, how to get involved with those. And then, you know, you're selling direct hand to hand with your customer while learning what questions they have. Like that's an incredible way to differentiate and like bootstrap the business. So, and then it sounds like if people are just coming to your site because they've already used the product after buying it in person and they're buying repeat. And that's what really like, Triggered the flywheel for you guys. That's actually pretty unique, I would say, from like all the founders that I've connected with it on the show. I, I love that.
1: Yeah, it was uh, by virtue of just not knowing the other ways. Yeah. Like I said, like, and I think that's like one of the superpowers of like, I'm not saying that my superpower, but like what I try to tell young founders is that like, you don't need to do it the way it's been done. Like, if you truly want to innovate, the way to do that is to just kind of go play by your own rule book and figure it out. So, you know, like by all it's sit back and like hear other people's stories. I'm like, man, we didn't do any of those things. Right. Like that. We could have just hammered Facebook and really nailed it. We probably would have grown faster, but who knows if like the customers we got would have been great or, you know, hindsight's wonderful. But to your point, I was just doing what I knew how to do and it turned out to be unique and ended up working. So I I like that as a storyline for people that maybe don't feel like they have the right toolkit. It's like, well, just make your own toolkit. Right. Like figure it out.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like one of the, the, Things you were doing in 2016, that's still pretty early, is like what you called athlete marketing. I think a lot of people listening will probably call different things influencers, affiliates, all of that. Is that still a big part of the Outway story today?
1: Yeah, our brand collaborations are so we try to like partner with a lot of the large running events or cycling events throughout Canada and North America because. We can partner with them to get basically the deal we try to strike is that how can we get every participant a pair of socks? Because we know that our product's great. And so like the number one thing we can do for marketing is get our product on people's feet. That's the thing we've learned. Like you mentioned, then they're like, oh, these are great. They're going to go to the site. We incentivize them with like a referral code or something on the packaging. And then they're our customer. So we have a very high repeat customer rate. So we still do that. And then for the longest time managed our brand ambassador program, kind of just like spreadsheets and type forms and whatnot. And that's where we've actually now pivoted more towards affiliate, kind of affiliate referral. We asked ourselves, like, how do we make every one of our customers an ambassador? Because everyone that does buy from us has their own unique story, the things they're trying to achieve. Like our mission as a brand is to inspire personal bests. And that was by asking thousands of our customers, like, why do you buy our product? And what we kept hearing was, you know, I buy the socks for X and X was always some pursuit of their personal best. Like I bought them for a marathon. I bought them Mm. for a business conference. And the other part of our product, which is unique is because of the expressive designs, there's an emotional component to it. And where we find that people actually like have a special design that they put on and it gives them some sort of intrinsic motivation to be like, I've got this, you know, this is my pair of socks I wear for X. And I've heard this so many times. So we've really tried to lean into that psychology side of selling. And so, yeah, we're very active still in athletic events and trying to saturate those markets. While also using our everyday customers to talk about it because they're so psyched on what they're doing and their products, and we want to empower them to spread the message. It's
0: amazing people are actually talking about socks that they wear. You know, like think about that for a sec. That's a brand. You know, that's like an incredible moment there. So, you mentioned you used to do this stuff in spreadsheets and type forms. So what people would just kind of sign up on this form and say, hey. I'd love to promote this to my audience.
1: Yeah, for about like five years, we ran this kind of like brand ambassador program where we had like, yeah, an onboarding sheet with criteria. You fill it out, it goes to someone that that sees if they meet kind of our spec. Then there's an onboarding process, codes, referral codes, their own codes, product seeding, kind of the classic micro-influencer play, but we were doing it from 2016 onwards. And then it just got to the point where I was like, Surely, there's some way to a automate this and b make it you know a hundred times bigger because like I started ask myself like what differentiates kind of our ambassadors from everyday customers like if our mission is true to inspire personal bests and really kind of like lean into the entire base why are we kind of segmenting at that time as about 1,200 ambassadors when we have hundreds of thousands of customers that and I can't really. Differentiate the two, right? Other than the twelve hundred applied, you know, Um, right? And that's where we kind of roll, wound down the ambassador program, wound up kind of our influencer affiliate program, where any customer or soon to be customer can join the program and start promoting the socks and talking about it. And yeah, we've launched that two months ago now, and that's over twelve thousand people now. So it's already more than ten x. Wow! Through that effort, and the ROI is crazy. The engagement's pretty crazy. And that was a bet because we were going to wind down something that had worked for five years and try something new. And yeah, it's just kind of gone like gangbusters, which has been really cool to see.
0: So before we started recording, you said you were using Social Snowball as the platform for this. I've been seeing them around. Looks awesome. But like, help me understand how you go from zero to 12,000 in two months. Is it something that shows up post-purchase?
1: Yeah, there's multiple strategies. So on launch day, we emailed it out to our existing base. Mm-hmm so we had a bunch of signups there. And now, yes, post-purchase, everyone is turned into an affiliate right there on the order confirmation screen. And you're right, this is through Social Snowball, big fan. It gives them their code. It gives them their account. If they miss that, it also is a part of the email flow afterwards. Hey, we've created this for you. And it's really just the way that, hey, if they get the socks and they love them, they're like, hey, I want to talk about this. Oh, and I can earn some rewards while doing so. It's a really organic program. It's an opt-in, like we've created the profile. You don't have to do anything with it. If you don't decide to do anything, we're not gonna continue to bother you. It's really there for people that wanna get loud and wanna maybe earn some cash while promoting their favorite socks. Other than that, we're just kind of, it's fairly automated and we're not jamming it down people's throat because like if they want to, great. If they don't want to, great. It doesn't matter. But yeah, in the past two months, it's onboarded well over 12,000 people. And we offer basically $15 Reward for per purchase, and they can give anyone they refer 15% off. And that was a bit of like a gamble too. We're like, if we're going to guarantee a $15 payout, we better be kind of spot on with our assumptions around AOV and return and what we found. I did forecast and kind of anticipate a suppression in AOV because like we'd be giving a discount on first order. But what I failed, you know, and recognized in hindsight to understand was that like referral and affiliate sales are high trust. Yeah. So we actually saw AOV rise by about Mm -hmm. 20 to 25%. So we were actually making a higher AOV. And then the program, you know, generates, you know, four to six X ROI. So it's great. It's helped bring down blended CAC and it's been something that we're super stoked on.
0: Wow. I like that everyone is kind of created as an affiliate after the order and it's up to them if they care or not. You know what I mean? Because you never know who has that personal story, like you said. That they're gonna feel that pride and love the product and incentivized to share. So I think that's really cool. Awesome to hear. One of the other things that I've been enjoying seeing from you, Rob, is like you post on Twitter mock-ups of co, I guess would you call it co-branded with like a well-known brand, company that outweighs designing for them. And you're like hey canva like here's socks we designed like these would be great for your employees and you tag that brand in it can you walk us through what's happening here like are you opening a b2b division
1: yeah so in the early days i'll walk it back and then answer this question more specifically the way we were able to bootstrap the brand with like a thousand bucks into you know tens of millions as you know and most operators know like e-commerce brands and product brands just suck cash you know they're a cash on fire machine because you know, you're buying your inventory in advance. You're paying your people in advance. You're paying your marketing costs in advance, hoping that you sell the product and generate enough return to cover those costs. But the dirty secret is, is like to continue to grow, it's more cash out. So it's like you're in a constant cash crisis for the most part, which is why a lot of e-commerce brands either don't make it or take on a lot of debt or take on a lot of equity financing or or both. One thing that happened early on was I got an email from a past sponsor of mine a few weeks or months into starting the business that said, "Hey." And this was muscle milk. They said, Hey, we're doing an event and I need 500 pairs of socks. Can you make us some custom branded socks? And so I was like, I hadn't thought about that, but I was like, I mean, I don't see why not, you know, like I run a sock business now, apparently. So we did the 500 pairs, charged them, invoiced them. They paid us right then. I was in class doing this and the money hit my account before I even pressed go. I was like, Oh, I've got like thousands of dollars now prepaid for this order that I'm going to deliver in about 30 to 60 days. And that was the simple insight that we could flip the traditional model by doing this kind of what we call, it's a sub-brand of ours now called Custom Lab. And we do like promotional white label socks for businesses. And we now do socks for brands like Red Bull, Mondelez, CCM, and very large brands. Like My kind of internal joke is eventually, no matter what pair of socks you buy anywhere, at some point, we're going to have some, they're ours, Nice. whether it's our brand or not. So that was a simple insight. And so we spun up the sub brand and started marketing that side of things. And that's a multi million dollar business. We run off the kind of side. I've got a small team that does the custom lab brand. And the benefit there is, yeah, it's like generating leads to a landing page. There's some out costs. We have staff designers to do like mock-ups. But when we lock in the sale, they pay us that day. We've got a 30-day production cycle and net 60 terms. So we have 90 days of free cash flow. We know our margins. So I just save the amount, or if you want to get risky, you invest even that amount into growing the inline brand in that 90-day cash conversion cycle and just keep spinning that up. Wow. And so that's how we were able to bootstrap for so long. And now more specifically to your question around the collaborations is yeah, we have this kind of sub-brand and this custom ability. And it just more than anything you're talking about it, people are talking about it, it's fun to kind of pick these larger than life brands like Starbucks or Canva and just create a really nice collaborative design, nice board and kind of tweet at them and be like, and being sure that like, these are brands that we like and that we feel there's some like, that like also either our brand uses or our customers use. So like, we're not doing something that's off brand. These are like athletes love coffee, Starbucks a leader in coffee, for example. Canva is a design tool. We have lots of designs on our socks. And we just kind of tweet, I tweet at them and be like, hey, let's do this and let's collaborate. And they, they generate a lot of eyeballs. At the very least, it's like a great kind of awareness top of funnel play for our sub brand, custom lab. It's great for my Twitter engagement. Right. So yeah, there's a uh, to be determined on the results, you know, Canva actually replied and they were like, send us an email, let's chat. So we're chatting. But to me, it's pretty low cost to do this. So I say if we do a thousand of these shots on that, surely something's going to come out of it. But yeah, that's the kind of thought behind there. of just classic kind of guerrilla marketing, you know, yeah. just like having fun with it.
0: I love it. I mean, your team's already working on great designs for your core brand, right? So why not spend you know, a little bit of extra time doing something fun, generate a little bit of buzz for personal, social, and for the business. I think it's awesome. Earlier, you mentioned, I think this could be an interesting thing to wrap up on, that you bootstrapped the business for five years, but recently you took on a little bit of funding. Yeah. Help me understand, Like, you bootstrapped to significant scale what was it in your mind that made you say like okay either there's a massive opportunity here I can't capitalize on myself or like there's a major growth lever like what was it that made you say I want to raise money and now's the right time to raise money
1: Yeah I would say it was more of like an organic evolution so like for the first 5 4 years of the brand I didn't network I didn't have entrepreneur friends I was literally just head down growing this thing and then eventually it kind of popped up and that's when I started posting on Twitter a little bit because I felt like I had like a bit of a voice now. Like we had done that 10 million in sales. Like I felt like I'm not a fan of people that haven't really found product market fit giving business advice. You know, it's just like, I just, uh, and then so I started to build a bit of a network, meet interesting people. And as I kept talking about it and kind of establishing credibility, I found myself, you know, five years in with this network of people that were kind of being like, we want to invest. And so I kind of, at that time had, a good amount of leverage in the sense that like I could handpick people that I thought could help accelerate the business. Yep. And it was honestly like it was a multi-kind of layered approach of like why I want to do this. Or it was one, I want to bring in people I can learn from because like I don't know what I don't know. I want to capitalize the business, which in hindsight was timely. We raised November last year while the market was in a great place for raising. And now we're coming into a period where I think a lot of brands are going to be squeezed out of the market due to cash constraints. So we're well capitalized. And this was just luck. And yeah, that was like the main two motivations is like bring in experts and capitalize the brand. Like we had never had huge cash reserves to kind of like buy more inventory. We're kind of just like we were bootstrapped and there was a good cash flow in the business, but not to the point of like we raised $3.2 million. So now we had like a lot of cash to play with and we could just take some more bets and we could. Increase our talent moat and kind of accelerate some things we were working on, but I'd say like the main motivation for me was just the expertise. What I've learned as an operator and entrepreneur, just by surrounding myself with people that have done that, is you can skip the line. You know what I yeah. mean? Like there's just such an opportunity, and I recognized that. I was a solo founder. I owned you know the entire business, so I had a lot of equity to play with too. So I was just like. Yeah this is an investment in me too. And so we brought on just extremely influential people like Andrew Wilkinson and Shane Parrish and Jason ah, Warner. Nice. And so it's just like, it's a stacked lineup. It's the NBA all-star team, like of people I got to choose and learn from. And I still look back, I'm like, it's just insane to me that they're putting money in to like help. I'm like, this is crazy. Cause I get to have a, a direct line of communication with people that I think would die to talk to these people and get yeah. advice from and, and they're invested in, in me and the business. And that was the main motivation, and I'd say like to anyone listening, if like, you're gonna go out and raise money, the best time to do it is when you don't need it, when the business is doing well, because like raising money is a there's a power dynamic there, and the last thing you want to do is be raising money when you need it, because you're not gonna have a lot of leverage, and the benefit of leverage in in that conversation is picking the people you want to work with that you have value alignment on, finding a fair valuation on both sides. I don't think. I don't love the idea of like raising extremely high valuations on the founder side because like this is a partnership and your goal ultimately by taking money is to provide a return. And if you're raising and like last year, like on these unrealistic valuations, like your likelihood of ever generating a return is, is very unlikely. And that's probably a really stressful place to be as a founder is like, how do you generate a return? so. Yeah, long-winded answer of like, I think the, the motivations were around the right thing of just like stacking the team with talented people, capitalizing the business to be on our toes when I think a lot of people are gonna be on their heels.
0: Yeah, I love it. I think that's fantastic perspective. It's different than what you hear a lot of times about founders that either needed the money for marketing or to continue growth or just to extend runway because they weren't profitable. And that's absolutely not the the case in your story. I, I love that. I also like to like talking to other founders, talk about the amount that you've raised total in the history compared to your annualized revenue run rate. And so if you're raising a little bit for the reasons that you stated, but your revenue is significantly higher than that already. Then, like you're not putting yourself in a risky spot, most likely. I mean, anything can change. But so I think you know that's an important like ratio when you think about company formation and capitalization. But Rob, this is amazing. Really, really appreciate you taking the time to come on and and share a little bit of, of the growth. And like I said, I'm a big fan of the content and uh, some of those experiments that you're putting out on the corporate role, It's just awesome to see and. Wish you and, and the rest of the team a ton of success wrapping up another big year for you guys.
1: Yeah, no, I appreciate you allowing me to share the story and, and come on and chat about it. it uh, it's always fun chatting with other founders too. I found the conversation flows nicely. And uh, yeah, it, it's been fun. Anyone that wants to kind of follow the journey, like you said, I'm, I'm pretty active on Twitter, just at Rob Fraser, you can find me. That's where I hang out most and always happy to help answer questions for people when reasonable in enough time. But uh, yeah, this was super fun.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate it.